Welcome to this week's edition of the Wispy Mob Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. I'm your host, Todd, middle initial C. Walker. Yes, that's right, it's me. And we have been listening to the title track from the 2017 CD, Just Left of Beautiful. And the gentleman who composed that tune and performed it is named Jimmy Stewart. And Jimmy Stewart is not the Jimmy Stewart from It's a Wonderful Life. He's a guitar player from the greater Baltimore, Washington area. And let me read you a little bit of what Rob Hinkle from Focus Music and Iliami wrote about him. Soulful, pure, haunting. These words are cliches often heaped upon the works of acoustic instrumentalists. But in the performance of Baltimore's Jimmy Stewart, they ring beautifully true. Watching Jimmy curl around the body of his customized acoustic guitar, knowing smile on his face, fingers prowling up and down the fretboard, you feel that you're in the presence of something sublime, a music so urgently alive it eagerly escapes to wander the world. Through a love of simplicity and exquisite attention to detail, Jimmy's music has no need to fill space. It explores it. Rob Hinkle. And Rob Hinkle said that about Jimmy Stewart, who's on the line with me right now. Hi, Jimmy. Hi, Todd. It's great to be here. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And that was a very wonderful thing he wrote about you. Yeah, he's he's uh, been very instrumental and present in my music life since I started back in early 16. Uh, I would not be... Um, w- I wouldn't... I, I depend on him some, for so many different things. Uh, just friendship, counsel, advice... Uh, and uh, I just really uh, enjoy him quite a bit. Well, he's a, not only is he a very talented musician, but he has many different layers to his being. Yes, he does. My uh, interview with him last this past year was, first of all, he has that wonderful laugh, which just pops up out of nowhere. But just his enthusiasm is wonderful, and the fact that he's enthusiastic about your music is great. Yes, uh, he's a force in the uh, local area for music and artists starting out and just supporting so many different people with everything that he does. Yeah, he's our own musical cyclone. Yes, he is. So tell me about Jimmy Stewart. How did Jimmy Stewart start out playing guitar? How old were you? What got you into it? Oh, sure. Um, my uh, my mom's an incredible pianist, um, and music was always a big part of our house. Uh, and I received my was gifted my first guitar when I was six, and uh, and it pretty much started from there. It's always been something that has been part of my life uh, to varying degrees uh, throughout. I've always had that; it's the one constant that I've always had. So, uh, started out playing a few you know, cowboy chords here and there and uh, have mostly just been a couch player. Uh, I tried a bunch of different variants of playing guitar. For a long time, I wanted to be a blues guitarist. And uh, then you you hear the genius of Stevie Ray Vaughan. You're like, well, (laughs) I don't know if I could ever get there, you know. Uh, And, uh, you know, I've I've always had it when I was uh, active duty uh, all through the military. I always traveled with the guitar everywhere I went. Uh, played in a few bands here and there, nothing super serious. Um, but it wasn't until I retired uh, out of active duty and settled here in the Baltimore area that um, I decided, you know what, I'm, I think I realized that I'm playing guitar for a lot of the wrong reasons, if there are any. Uh, and uh, I finally went and bought the one guitar that I've always wanted, and it was an acoustic 
And uh, I haven't stopped since. Uh, went on to record a couple albums, learned how to record uh, in a studio, and which is uh, was an incredible lesson uh, in performance. And uh, and I just have basically looked for opportunities to present my music and. Um, and that's kind of where leads up to today, where we are today. <laughs> well, that first guitar, you said you were six years old? I was, yes. Was it a, a, a classical guitar, an electric guitar? What was it? It was, um, I think it was a Fender acoustic guitar. Um, it was twice as big as I was. And uh, my brother, um, Tommy, actually played guitar and showed me how to play a few chords here and there. And I just used to strum along. Uh, and then all through, you know, growing up and I think my dad bought me a, a really nice guitar when I was about 12 or 13. And uh, I used to play at the marina in Florida where I grew up because they always had bands in there. And I would just sit off on the side with this Alvarez Yari nine string uh which was kind of a unique acoustic guitar. Um, and I would just follow along and pick up tips and tricks here and there and uh, just enjoyed playing. Yeah. You were the first person I've ever met or spoken to who played that nine string guitar. I've known about it for years. I'm an Alvarez Yeri owner for many, many years. I've bought and sold many of them. I still have a couple of them, wonderful guitars. And I've always been curious about that. I don't think many were made. What got you interested in that particular one? Um, it was um, actually a guitar that belonged to a neighbor. And my dad ended up uh, buying that guitar for me off the neighbor. Um, so it wasn't one that I had known about or searched for. Um, but it was an incredibly unique guitar. And uh, I... I can repeat what I've been told. I, I haven't really researched it much, but uh, I was told they'll make a thousand six strings uh, and then they'll make one nine string and then they would make a thousand 12 strings and then one nine string guitar. And this was signed by uh, Yuri and on the, uh, on the label that goes inside the guitar. It was an incredibly unique guitar um, the way it sounded. Uh, and uh, I had that guitar for many, many years before it was unfortunately stolen uh, when I was stationed in Groton, Connecticut. Mm. Groton, Connecticut is where the submarines are built, or at least it fitted is. out anyway. I'm not sure if they're actually... Are they built there or just fitted out there? Uh, they are built there at Electric Boat, right there on the uh, on the river outside of Groton. Yep. Yeah, right across from where you can pick up the ferry to go to Long Island. That is very true. I've done that a few times, too. That's my favorite ferry of all time. Yeah. Especially when it, you leave Groton in the, or that, you know, that ferry on the, on the Connecticut side towards dusk. So when you come into Long Island, it's dusk and all the lights are coming on on the boats and, and it's just wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. It was the neat feeling back in the early or the late eighties. Uh, I had a friend of mine, um, in the Navy who grew up uh, and his family lived in Long Island. And uh, we used to take the ferry on a Friday over to Groton or from Groton Long Point over to Long Island and, and spend the weekend uh, over in Long Island. Yeah. So, so tell me how you got into the 
submarine life? What transpired? I mean, did you decide after high school just to go into the military and that's where you ended up? How did it, how did it end up? So, um, I never typically have a plan for much of anything. Uh, it's kind of crazy. Um, in that, you know, growing up in Florida, uh, I didn't have, um, you know, like a whole lot of opportunities for where I wanted to go and what my next, you know, what, what I wanted my life to be. And, um, but I realized shortly after graduating high school, um, that I needed to find direction. Um, and, you know, I, I talked to some family and, you know, the Navy was a pretty good option and spoke to the recruiter and we just pulled the trigger. And at 17, my mom had to sign my, uh, my piece of paper to allow me to join uh, that early. And before I knew it, I was standing in a foot of snow up in Great Lakes, Illinois, wondering, you know, what the hell did I just do? Because everyone's yelling at me. <laughs> I'm used to that. Uh, uh, um, but that's how it started out. Um, and uh, I've just kind of bounced off everything and tried to, you know, approach things with, uh, you know, just looking for the opportunity to do things. And, uh, and that's how I ended up in the Navy. And then they're like, Hey, you want to go submarines or see what that's about? And I'm like, well, subs are cool. So I'll go try doing that. And, uh, I went through submarine school and within the first six months of being in the Navy, I was standing on a pier in Holy Lock, Scotland, uh, getting onto my very first submarine. So it didn't take very long. Now, did it ever make you nervous going underwater? Uh, I don't think so. Um, the training that you get uh, in the Navy pretty much removes a lot of the fear that you have of that. Of course, you know, they there's a lot of screening and everything that goes through because, you know, being on a submarine is not uh, easy to do. And there's a lot of uh, phobias. So they screen you and make sure primarily that you're not claustrophobic and then uh, they, they always joke that, I mean, you have to be certified to crazy to be on a submarine. And I, I guess I fit all those criteria <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and that's how I passed all my psyche valves and stress tests and everything to go be on a submarine. Now, what was your part of the submarine? What were you, what was your job? Um, when I first showed up, I was, uh, unrated. That meant, uh, I was working in the mess decks and on the, on the deck crew, uh, handling line. So I, I didn't really have a job when I got there. It was, it was kind of like the Navy's version of on the job training. Mm -hmm. So within the first you know year or so I had got a chance to work with the different divisions and understand what the different jobs were about. And then uh, I ended up going into navigation. I, I, I did charts and piloted the submarine uh, in and out of port and manned the, the quartermaster station and uh, kept the ship, in the submarine uh, safe and inside their boundaries and so made sure we didn't run aground. Well, you know, watching the old uh, submarine World War II movies and then even like Hunt for Red October and things like that, sure. how you can navigate underwater and, and know where obstructions are is amazing to me. Yeah, it's pretty crazy um, in the fact that you... Uh, a lot of times you just take for granted that the ocean's a really deep place. <laughs> and, 
uh, it's not until you get close into shore in a lot of cases. Uh, now there are exceptions, uh, and, and that can be proven in the news uh, quite a bit. Um, but for the most part, the charts are really accurate and, uh, you, you learn to stay away from things that are dangerous. Yep. Now you were, you were in the submarine service the entire time. I was, yeah. 22 years. Uh, I was stationed in Groton and Kings Bay to, fly back and forth to Holy Lock quite a bit. Uh, and then the second half of my career was pretty much spent out in Hawaii um, on fast boats. Uh, it's a, still a submarine. It's just a different mission. And um, was on a lot of the submarines out of Pearl Harbor. And then uh, that's where I retired out of uh, one of the submarine squadrons there, Squadron 7. So how did you end up in the Baltimore area? Uh, it was a matter of... Uh, well, once I got my degree finished, um, and put my resume together, uh, that's primarily where the job was. So as you can imagine, you know, submarine experience is, is unique in that, uh, there's actually, it's only a really small community of folks, uh, comparatively to the rest of the Navy. So, um, I was able to transition out of the Navy active duty and go work at uh, Naval Sea Systems Command in Washington, D.C., uh, still dealing with submarines and, and uh, working on the civilian side of that of that role in the Navy. So that's that's how I ended up here. I, I had my resume out, interviewed uh, and accepted a job uh, in D.C. at the Navy Yard. And, and that's how I ended up here in Baltimore. Well, you have a, a song. In fact, it's the lead-off song on your Just Left of Beautiful CD called Train to Kamakura. And K- Kamakura is in Japan, I think, isn't it? It certainly is, yes. Now, what what was behind that title? So, um, when uh, I was on a submarine, I think it was the USS Cheyenne, we had pulled into uh, Yokosuka, Japan, um, as submarines often do. Uh, and we had, uh, I got some time off and one of the things, uh, that came up was the ability to, you know, you get on a train and you, you ride out to this town in Japan called Kamakura and in Kamakura is this giant, I think it's a 60 foot Buddha that was built back in the 1200s. And, um, so it was just a, a day of Liberty and to go out and sightsee and, uh, so I just remember that day of having been in Japan for the very first time and, and experiencing that culture, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And we took the train out, and um, you know we're we're sailors on Liberty, so we're we're looking to eat some food, drink some beers, have a good time, and uh, and do that. And um, so when we arrived in Kamakura, we we made our way by taxi over to where the this Buddha was because I mean, it's super old is very interesting. And then I realized that, you know, um, this wasn't, uh, even though it was fascinating to see you're, you're literally walking into someone's church, um, and, and being part of their religion that they have. So it was in uh, very eye opening to, to go there to their temple and, and then realize the reverence of that place. And, I remember washing my hands in the fountain before I went through the gates to go see the Buddha. And uh, there's a spot in the song. uh, If you listen to it, you can absolutely where my mind was when I was writing that. When I walked through the the gates that had all the the gardens and the 
flowers and everything growing over it. Uh, and you turn the corner and you see this giant Buddha that's been there for thousands of years. Um, it kind of just took my breath away. And uh, we got to explore that. And then just realizing the, the sanctity of that place and, and why people were there. Um, it just always stuck with me. It, it actually turned out to be a, an amazing day. And I learned a lot about, you know, Japan and Buddhism and, and myself a little bit. Uh, and I wanted to translate that into a song. Well, let's listen to it. Is that good for you? It's great for me. Here it is. Thanks. Train from yeah. Kamakura. I know our guitar friends are going to wonder how you got such a wonderful, huge sound when you were recording. 
Um, I think that was uh, Neumann Kill M102. <laughs> <laughs> uh, honestly, it really was. I, I also, um, a lot of it has to do with that tuning. That's, that is an open C tuning. So uh, it, I mean, if you realize in standard tuning, um, you have a specific range of notes from no fret open strings all the way to the 12th fret on the high string. But in open C tuning, you're lowering the, the bass string down two steps, and it gives you uh, almost four octaves of range that you can get on the neck of the guitar. So um, that's that's a big part of of the sound that I can get um, in open C tuning. So you must use a heavier gauge string in order to keep the tension when you tune down that low. You know, um, I've experimented with medium and heavy gauge strings, uh, and I haven't really noticed the difference, honestly, Todd. <laughs> I haven't. I mean, um, it definitely, uh, the thing it affects more, the gauge, is the setup on the guitar, um, mm-hmm. it, you know, getting it slotted right and everything else. Um, but what I did to kind of solve the issue with more so for intonation than anything else is um, I met a guy out of Baltimore. Um, I'm trying to remember his name. I'll remember it here in a second. Uh, Phil Tone, uh, Phil Jacoby, uh, that's it. Um, so I brought him my guitar, kind of explained to him some of the issues that I was having. So he built me a specialized um, saddle that has a shelf on the low end that is able to extend uh, the length of the string so that the intonation works a little better. Um, I still have to tune the guitar to the fifth fret uh, more so, um, which leaves you know basically the top, what would normally be an E string, I have to tune it a few cents flat so that um, when I'm playing in the middle of the neck is where it's mostly in tune. But having that compensated saddle really helps quite a bit with the intonation. But as far as string gauge goes, um, I mean, these days I've I've played all the different strings to try to get to something that I like. And and each of them have their advantages and disadvantages uh, for sure. But I have recently, uh, within the last few months, gone back to Elixir Lights. Um, I'm able to get uh, a lot of the sound that I like uh, just using those, and it's not as hard on the fingers, and uh, I can get a lower action, and uh, just makes my playing more accurate, I feel like. Now, what were some of the different brands you tried? There might have been like a, a close second or third. Um, well, let's see. Uh, I started out playing Elixirs. Um, and uh, they're they're great strings. Um, you do sacrifice a little tone, I think, with the coating, uh, especially with uh, with um, some of the micro coating they use now is a little better. Uh, nano coating, I think they call it. Um, but then I went to the Diodario XTs, um, and those were really nice strings. Didn't notice a huge difference between Elixirs and XTs, except that the elixirs seem to last a lot longer than the XTs do. Uh, and then a friend of mine um, recommended that I try the uh, aluminum bronze strings from mm-hmm. Ernie Ball. Yep. And I, I absolutely love those strings. The clarity and the tone that you get out of them uh, are amazing. And I'll probably end up putting those on my guitar when I record because I just like... I don't know how it does it, but um, 
it just sounds more high definition uh, than elixirs do in that regard. The downside to those strings is um, I broke a lot of them for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, they, they just seem to break way more often. I used to never break strings uh, until I switched to those. Um, so that was a kind of a downside, and uh, they don't last uh, nearly as long as even regular strings. Uh, I think um, with those, I was going through a, a new set on my guitar like every couple of weeks. Um, and uh, so recently, um, it's kind of hard. Uh, I was playing the medium light gauge uh, aluminum bronze strings, um, and then it just got to the point with, uh, I'm assuming, pandemic or other reasons, you just couldn't find them uh, at all. And the ones you could find, they were selling for like 30 and $40 a pack. Wow. And I was like, well, that's not sustainable, so I'm not <laughs> going to do that. Uh, and then I went back to uh, Elixirs. I, I had my guitar in the shop uh, recently. I, I got hooked up with a really, really good luthier that, that's a lot closer to me. Um, uh, his name's, um, Steven out of truly strings over in Baltimore, mm-hmm. uh, just outside of Baltimore. Um, really good, uh, nice guy did a complete setup and fixed some issues on my guitar, um, that I had been dealing with for quite a while. Um, did a really good job and we, uh, shifted back to the, uh, elixir lights. And I think I'm just going to camp out there in the elixir light gauge string camp for quite a while. I'm really happy with the results that I got out of it. Now, on both your CDs, in the, the 2017 CD, Just Left of Beautiful, and the one from, what, two years ago, um, Blackberry Winter, Winter. Yeah. which guitars, because you have two two main performance guitars, if I'm not mistaken, is that correct? That is correct, yes. So which guitar, or how did you choose between the two of them to do your recording? Um, well, it was pretty easy. Um, both guitars, uh, both albums rec- were recorded with the same guitar. Um, and it's my Taylor, my 816. Uh, my friend, uh, best friend in the whole world, brother, um, we were in submarines together years ago. Uh, Derek Boom from Boom Custom Guitars has built me a, cus- a couple of acoustics. Uh, one of them named Mutley. It was the very first acoustic guitar he'd ever built. And um, we've been working on that one for a couple of years uh, to get it to my liking. And I've learned a lot just in that experience of things that I thought I would like on a guitar. Um, And I do love playing it, uh, but it also has its drawbacks as well. And uh, it's just an incredible journey and and a lesson and playing different kinds of guitars. And uh, so um, we were able to get, Mutley to a point where it was show ready. He had to do a lot of extra work and tear it down and re-glue the bridge and a few other things. Um, but uh, there has been an incredible lack of shows lately. I don't know if you've realized that as well, Todd. I'm sure you have. So uh, I haven't had a chance to pull that one out very often. But um, back to the original question, yeah, both both albums were recorded on my Taylor. Now, which model Taylor? Um, it is an H16 uh, CE. So uh, it has um, a Sitka spruce top and rosewood back and sides, um, and I've, I prefer that. I've played mahoganies and all the different uh, tone woods out there, and for some reason, I, to my ear, I always 
will always go back to rosewood and Sitka for some reason. It just the natural wood tone EQ that you get out of that combination of tone woods um, is something that I I very much like and enjoy. I mean, you you just hit one chord on that guitar and you're like, well, I mean, you can't you can't get any better than that. So. Um, yeah, uh, I've had it modified quite a bit. Uh, I had the neck re-radius. I've, uh, finally got some decent sized EV fret wire in there. I, I had shifted to the jumbos for a little while and, um, I like the, the fretting of those. Uh, but the, when you go to hit a chord that's spread across three or four frets, you, you end up pressing harder, um, cause you have to, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would always uh, tend to pull it out of tune because of the fret height being so high. So um, I was able to get truly strings to pull those, those Evos out and put in a regular set of standard Evo height wire uh, and uh, gone for full circle on that. Um, And I also had the expression system pulled out. Um, I used that for many years and was always really happy with it. Uh, But then I had a problem with it where it was, had a ground in there and the folks over over at Appalachian bluegrass worked on it quite a bit, uh, trying to solve that problem, uh, Nick over there. And, uh, eventually he's like, I, I've replaced everything and I can't get it to go away. So we, we pulled it out and now I have three vent holes where the, the volume and tone knobs used to be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I went with the K and K pure mini. Um, and I'm, I'm not turning back. Every guitar I have now has K and K pure minis in them. Well, and, uh, that all my guitars have those as well. And the tailors that I have purchased or still owned that had the expression system, I pulled those out and put the K and K in as well. It's, uh, it is especially some, many of the high end, and I say high end fingerstyle not taking anything away from you because you're, con- I considered you a high end fingerstyle guitarist. I mean, the oh, ones who, you. well, you're welcome, but I mean, the yeah. ones that are kind of like you read about them in all the magazines all the time. It seems that most of those performers, they either play with a microphone out front only or K and K, the Trinity system, which has the internal microphone as well, or the combination of a microphone out front and the K and K. And the wonderful thing for folks listening who are not familiar with K&K Pure Minis is, and it's kksound.com, they're out of the the Northwest, is they're passive, which means you don't have to worry about changing batteries and things. You can uh, either play straight or you can um, have a K&K preamp that's outboard, or you can actually get one where it's um, inside the guitar, but terrific pickups. I'm so happy that you, you, because I knew when you performed this past summer at the Shabro stage, I said, you know, that sounds awfully, awfully good. That's not the expression system. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I'm super happy with it. And if anyone has any concern about putting an unpowered pickup in your guitar, I will tell you that um, I had to go back through my entire rig and redo all of my game settings because this K and K, even though it's unpowered, is incredibly hot. It's in, so sensitive. I was, I was blown away that I could have a pickup in my guitar that does not require a battery and required me to turn everything down by a quarter because of how much output that it had. Yeah, they're absolutely terrific. Now, to to give a plug to Truly Strings, is, is it Truly T R U L Y? 
It is, yes. Yes. Truly Strings out of the Baltimore area. And what's the gentleman's name again? Um, his name is Stephen, and his last name starts with a B. And I'm going to I'm gonna look for that real quick. That's okay. So, does he have a website, or does he just have like a Facebook page? What's he do? Um, he has a website, trulystrings.com. Okay. That'll be, that'll be good. And then your, your, your friend who does the boom guitars, uh, Derek boom at boom custom guitars. You can find him on uh, Facebook and he has a website, uh, boomcustomguitars.com. Now, where does he build out of? He builds out of his very meager garage in, uh, Springfield, Virginia. <laughs> oh, so he's not too far away. That's terrific. No, he's not. Uh, I say that meager garage. Um, he has a, a full-on CNC and planers, and uh, you would walk in, and it just because it's in his garage doesn't mean he doesn't have all the nice toys to make a car. <laughs> he really, really does. Um, and the fact that he's gotten into uh, the Chapeco CNC machine allows him to, you know, carve a neck, measure it, and then repeat it endlessly so um it it's amazing the work that he is turning out of his garage now does he build primarily just acoustics actually he's more of an electric guitar builder i'm the only reason he's ever ventured into acoustic guitars uh um, but he has built quite a few electrics um for the band deer spring there's there's a close tie with those guys um he he builds a lot of guitars for them and another band, uh, Marseille, um, which is kind of blowing up right now. He, he builds some guitars and he builds everything, bass cabinets. Uh, he built this box that allows you to turn your amp all the way up. And it has a control that allows you to move the microphone inside the box without having to open it up. Uh, so I, I think that's something electric guitar users always go for um, because you get the breakup. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you can turn an amp all the way up to yep. 10 and bring it out. Um, so he, he built this isolation box that has all of the microphones and the plugs. And you just basically put the XLR jack into the plug on the side of the box. And it allows you to record in a studio without blowing the windows out. <laughs> I remember my mom when we were in high school. Well, middle school and, and what we used to call junior high and high school playing our electric guitars. And she would come up and she'd say, boys. I love that you really enjoy playing those things, but can you turn it down? <laughs> so let's go back to your, your two CDs. The, um, they're just the opposite time-wise from what I thought. For some reason in my mind, before I actually checked, I thought Just Left of Beautiful was your more recent CD, but it's not. It was the first one you produced. That is correct, yeah. Um, we... Uh when I first decided that I needed to, um, so I, I got my tailor and I've never had guitar lessons, not formally anyway. Um, and I decided to go find a guitar instructor. And so we did. And, uh, you know, having, I've got, I had a bunch of songs that I had written. They were just all acoustic things and, uh, had met up and started uh, taking some lessons and, and the lessons quickly turned into just jam sessions where I would play my music. And he's like, you know what? You don't really need lessons, man. You need to get in the studio and start recording. Um, so through some friends, uh, I got introduced to Kenny Miller uh, out at Jump Frog Studios. And 
Um, and he is just, uh, I'm telling you, it, it's amazing when you, you get to meet people that, uh, just know their craft and are just great people. And so we were able to do that. And he taught me how to get off the couch and go and record in a studio. Um, you wouldn't think there would be a lot of difference. You're just playing guitar, but that is absolutely not the case. Um, and it's one of the things that I enjoyed very much, uh, being in studio was it reveals absolutely all of your shortcomings. Um, so Kenny taught me how to play guitar in studio and practice appropriately and record, uh, just a whole bunch of different things that we worked on, um, to get my sound where I wanted it. And, uh, and I haven't stopped since. So that, that was how I learned to and got my first album put out was through Jump Frog Studios and Kenny Miller. Now, where is he located? He is right down in Glen Burnie. He has uh, um, uh, built his entire basement uh, of his house into uh, quite an exquisite studio. Um, sound isolated. It uh, was just a real pleasure to learn and be there with him. Now, how long did it take you from the first day you walked in and introduced yourself to him until you actually had the final mix and then you actually were able to release your CD. It took about a year and a half. Mm -hmm. um, now that was not going there every day for 10 hours a day. I would go there once a week uh, in, in the evenings. Uh, we would start about six and uh, usually end up around 10 or 11. Um, and in it, that it took about a year, year and a couple of months to get everything finalized, recorded, and and sent out. Yeah. Now, how about the uh, the second CD, Blackberry Winter? Um, well, with some success on my first CD and and uh, getting you know a little more recognition in the guitar community, I I had actually gone to a Don Ross concert. Uh, and uh, Ian Ethan Case opened for for him down at Jam and Java is probably back in 2018 or so. And uh, sitting at my table because you know they 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 sell you tickets, but you you get stuck at at uh, you know like six or eight person tables. And the two folks sitting next to me was uh, Dustin Furlow and Matt Thomas. Um, and I don't know if you know those guys, but Dustin and and Matt are performers down in the Virginia beach area. And, and Matt Thomas recently uh, just won the fingerstyle guitar championship. Wow. Um, uh, international fingerstyle guitar champion. Uh, and we were talking and we, they had CDs and I had CDs and we traded and became friends on Facebook and uh, talked quite a bit. And I was like, Hey, I'd like to, you know, record my second album I'm thinking about going back into the studio and, they were very adamant that I go meet someone named Kim Person, uh, and I did, and it we hit it off very. Uh, I mean, it was just amazing, and uh, I got to go down and uh, record my second album uh, over a few days in Virginia Beach in her studio that she has, um, and uh, then I got signed to her record label um, shortly after the the recording was done. Well, now, how did you come up with the name Blackberry Winter? Um, Blackberry Winter was uh, just something that had always stuck with me my whole life. Uh, I remember 
hearing about, um, you know, the, the blackberries blooming in the Northeast, uh, in the spring, and then you get a, a snowstorm late in the winter and it covers all the blackberries. And, uh, I've just always been in love with that. Uh, a lot of the music I write is, is very visual and I try to capture moments or feelings or just the visual immensity of, of a space and, just seeing the green leaves with snow on them and the blackberries is just something that I, I've just, it always spoke to me. And, and that's where the, the album title came from. It wasn't until after I did all the work, built everything that I realized that there's actually a jazz song called Blackberry Winter, which a friend of mine introduced me to after, after the fact. So, but yours is better, right? Um, it's different. Uh, <laughs> and I try not to, um, assign value as in better or worse, uh, when it comes to music. Um, I try to enjoy all of it for what it is. Uh, and, um, I do like the, the jazz version of that. There's, there's been a lot of covers of the Blackberry winter jazz song done. Uh, and it's a beautiful song for sure. Well, let's but listen- I prefer to play mine. <laughs> well, let's listen to about 30 seconds of yours. How's that? Uh, it'd be great. Thank you. Now it sounds like you're brushing the strings a little bit differently on that 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 song. I am, yeah. I think that's the effect of um, recording in Kim's studio. Um, she is the master uh, and is recognized as so uh, for recording acoustic instruments. Um, and I'm I'm a better guitar player uh, in '19 than I was back in you know across the year '16 and '17 uh, than I was playing Blackberry Winter. So. Um, it does sound a little different for sure. Now, the am I incorrect in saying it's not quite as produced? In other words, it doesn't have as much of that background. And and you told me what you use um, when you play live. You've got that wonderful kind of surreal background flowing um, sounds that you play to. Yes, uh, I do. Um it, it is much more straightforward, uh, not a lot of effects on the second album. Uh, and, and that was after, you know, a lot of thought and discussion into it was, you know, my first album uh, was uh, more heavily produced. There's a lot more background assistance with it. Um, and what I learned was um, when you go to play those songs, at least in my ear, because what I'm used to hearing uh, from the studio 
there was there was gaps and holes, and I spent a lot of time trying to create a sound that is at least similar to what I had in the very first album. The song Train to Kamakura is, is as much as I love it, is not a song that I can play live because there's so many pieces and parts and tracks and everything that go with that song. So I wanted to avoid that mistake um, if it is considered a mistake with the second album and play it just a much more straightforward finger style guitar album. Well, it's not a mistake. It's just different. It's like when someone asks uh, my good friend, Tommy one M right. Um, when he, we were first starting out as singer songwriters back in the early two thousands, he was bemoaning the fact he says, Todd, nobody asks me to perform They They ask, and he says, I've been checking, you know, what should I do? And everybody says, well, smile more or do this more or whatever. And I said, Tommy, just play what you play. Yeah. And people will enjoy it. It, not everybody gets a claim, if you want to call that, immediately. Some do. I said, but the, yeah. sl- the slow burn sometimes is the better way to go. And- it is. Um, I think it gives you more room to figure out where you are and and what, what it is you like, which is a big, you know, th- having to deal with that gap that I had from recording my first album to my second album and has really led me down the wonderful path of gear that I use to create the big sound that I get when I play live. Well, speaking of that, tell people what your gear consists of. Uh, yeah, sure. I would love to. Um, I, within the last year, um, having built out my pedal board and uh, I do use a looper on some songs, uh, because it helps build a lot more space and room into a song. But, uh, my main pedal board, I've discovered the audio sprockets tone Dexter. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it, it is a bit of a preamp, which you kind of need that for a K and K. Um, but it allows you to build a wave map, uh, over the sound of your guitar. You, you train the pedal with a microphone. Uh, pointed at your guitar, and then when you go to perform, you can pull that wave map map back up and apply it to your plugged-in sound, and it it is really magical. It makes your guitar sound as though you're mic'd, and I think everybody would agree that a a micro, an acoustic guitar with a mic on it is about as good as you can get when it comes to reproducing that sound. Um, And I run through a few other pedals. uh, Compression um, I use quite a bit. Uh, you can't hear it, but I can certainly feel it. So that, that's why that's on there. Uh, I have an EQ. Uh, I have a Flammer Reverb, uh, which I really, really love because it gives a bit of long trail reverb to the end of some of the sustain notes that I have. Um, and then I go into uh, uh, something called an Omec Teleport. And what that does is it separates my guitar signal at that pedal where I, one of the outs goes directly into my board uh, as the acoustic sound that I get out of my guitar. Um, it also converts um, my audio signal into a digital signal, which goes into my iPad that I have. And I run a few various apps on there that add uh, pads that track to what I'm playing. So if I play a C chord, then it'll add in um, some synth pads that I've selected and, and tweaked on for years to get just the right amount that I want. Um, and I also use it as a bass octaver um, through an app called Sample Tank, which allows me to uh, set up a gate 
so that only very select notes on the low end uh, brings in that super low end. It, it works a lot like the Boss OC5 uh, octave or pedal that adds in the rich low end bass, uh, except with this, I can, it's, you know, there's so many variations that you can apply to the bass low end signal. Um, and then that sends the signal back down to that OMEC teleport, which then goes into my board. Um, and I always try to keep the main thing, the main thing, which is the acoustic guitar sound. Uh, and then everything else that I use uh, with the synth pads and the, and the low end bass uh, is all just accent uh, and try to keep it in the background as much as possible to get that full round sound that I got. Now, how long did it take you to be able to use all those? Oh, I'm still not done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it, it's daily, right? Um, because when you when you get into that world where you're using some electronics, uh, especially you know plugins and VSTs and you know the different things that you can get in all of these different apps, it, it's innumerable the different combinations of things that you can use. Um, I'm pretty happy with what I have right now. Um, but you know, as you write new songs and you want to add new uh, components uh, to express, you know, we're always trying to get the sound in our head to come out of the guitar, right? Mm -hmm. So um, when you have all that infinite variability, uh, you can, I don't know that you could ever really be done with it, but, but that's how I use it. Uh, and I'd hope to great effect. I, I believe people really enjoy it when they hear it. So how do you come up with your tunes? Um, ideas, uh, a lot of them, you know, it's various, uh, some of them, there's a few songs that I've had that I write when I'm driving in the car and can't wait to get home to get a guitar to see if I can make it work out. Uh, some of them happen that way. Um, some of them are born out of, uh, just a melody that I hear. And then I write a song around it. Um, but when I see something like a mountain range in Colorado or Telluride or, and these are all songs that are on my first album, uh, or, you know, our best day off my second album are just, you know, if I could, if I could write a soundtrack to a feeling of being in the mountains in Pennsylvania on a beautiful 70 degree spring day with no bugs, uh, and enjoying nature, um, what would that sound like? And that would be my song, Our Best Day. That is, that is the soundtrack to moments and feelings. Uh, one of my songs that I wrote, Portraits Past, is, you know, it's, it's got nostalgia. I wanted to try to capture the, what would nostalgia sound like on an acoustic guitar? Um, and so that, that's a big part of how that comes about. Um, and I always say to, you know, a lot of times I, I don't know where the songs come from. Uh, and I truly don't. Um, they, they just present themselves in a lot of ways. And, and I'm just resolved to be happy that I get to be a part of it for sure. You're hanging on for dear life. You know, it. so home will do me. What's the background on that song? Um, home will do me is, uh, just a throwback to when I was a kid, uh, me and my brother fishing a lot, uh, on the Alifier river in right outside of Riverview, Florida. Um, and just, you know, seeing two young toeheads on a boat 
uh, out in the river and on Tampa Bay fishing. That, that was really what that song was about. Um, and, uh, I guess really so much that it's not really about a very particular place, but that feeling of, you know, freedom as a child or in, 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 coupled with the innocence of just being out and, you know, doing what it is you love and laughing and, uh, I wanted to capture that in that song and, and home is where that happened growing up. So that does me. <laughs> well, let's listen to about a minute of it. Oh, sure. Thank you. When I listen to songs a lot of times, I um, I can feel, or they, they put me in a place where I'm watching a film, a movie. Yeah. And that one, I'm watching the credits roll by at the end of the movie. <laughs> Just because it's, it's um, I mean, it, 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 it kind of, and I don't mean this negatively, but it kind of jumps at you in the first five seconds, but then it kind of pulls back and just kind of lopes along and just, it's going to, it has this kind of carefree with every once in a while you tap the strings, which is, you know, like you're skipping and you notice something off to the side, maybe you, you, you stop. And it's just got that wonderful flow to it where I could just see that, you know, where I'm searching for, let's see, who did that song? Who did that song? And the credits are rolling by. Oh, that's cool, man. I like that. Uh, it does have a certain amount of finality to it. Uh, it's punctual in that way, I think. Now, the um, that CD, the Blackberry Winter, the 2019, has six cuts on it. Cuts yeah, it tunes. And you and I were talking before we hit the record button. Why did you have 12 on the first CD and only six on the second? So I kind of had this harebrained idea that, um, you know, Putting out 12 songs on a long play like that uh, is good. Um, but when you're looking at today's music industry and how things are, um, you know, very few people put out full long plays anymore with 12 or more tracks. Or in, I, I guess they, they group it by how much 
you know, total music is on a CD. Um, and, you know, I was thinking I wanted to build my library of released albums out and um, following the industry tend of just doing six means that uh, every song on there, because there's only six, is now more relevant or important and allows me to build a larger library of music. Um, now, again, I don't I don't know if that's true anymore in that regard. In fact, I think a lot of folks are just focusing on singles these days because of how short I think the attention span is of people um, where, where you just kind of focus on the one song without looking or, or buying the whole album anymore. Well, the one thing, and I mentioned to you off mic that your CDs um, in Priority, Just Left a Beautiful, and then Blackberry Winter. Um, and the only reason is because there are more tunes on Just Left a Beautiful. But those are the two CDs that my wife and I listen to most of the time <laughs> while we're having dinner. Because we love to have acoustic music kind of in the background. And yeah. from the first day that I put those CDs in the Bose Wave Radio CD player, um, both of us kind of went, hmm? Because we listen to acoustic music all the time. I have probably a dozen acoustic, you know, fingerstyle guitar, um, everything from slack key to um, to kind of jazzy and bluesy fingerstyle. But your, yours are the are number one and two. Oh, that's amazing! Thank you. Uh, well, you're welcome. Thank you for my heart, man. <laughs> thank you for producing them because otherwise we wouldn't have them. Yeah, I really love that. Um, I do get a lot of feedback from folks that listen to my music. Uh, I have a a Facebook friend up in uh, Quebec, Canada, who uh, rides the snowy mountain trails on his fat bike. Oh, uh, listening to my music, and uh, I think that's really neat. His name's Jocelyn. Uh, I have a, a friend who codes on computer a lot all day, and he tells me that when he plays my music it puts his brain in a zone and he's like 50% more productive because <laughs> he can just focus in it. It allows him to focus. Uh, I've had people tell me that they listen to it in the car when they're in traffic because it keeps them from uh, committing misdemeanors. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had uh, people um, for, for a long while, um, there was someone in Israel that would play my music to go to sleep by, and they would just message me and let me know they were heading to bed and listening to my music. Uh, and so um, I just find all of that amazing because all I, you know, all I do is just want to get it out there and hope people can listen and enjoy it. Uh, but to hear, I guess what you would call um, all the intimate details of how people listen and what it does for them is just, it blows my mind uh, every single time that people can take that and, and interpret it in a way that is meaningful to them. I love that. So how did those three people find your music in the first place? Um, I think primarily through um, Facebook, I think is one, cause I was, you know, when the pandemic started, I was, I was doing quite a few, uh, live streams. Uh, so I think that really helped out quite a bit. Um, one of them was uh, an accident on Spotify. They just happened to come across my music uh, in a search and fell in love with it. Uh, and 
and others are just in the musical circle and community and, you know, where I get to play live and, and make new friends and fans and things like that. Uh, I've always enjoyed that. It, it really makes uh, everything very much worthwhile when people can come up to you afterwards and say, I absolutely love your CD. And I came out here, especially tonight to see you. Uh, that blows, I'm telling you, it's the best feeling in the world, Todd. You know, and if people want to purchase your music, they can either do a download or they can um, get the physical CD. And I'm assuming, looking at your website, and the website is Jimmy Plays Guitar, plays as in plural, jimmyplaysguitar.com. And on the Buy Me section, you've either got your merch or your music store. And where it says Add to Cart twelve ninety nine, it says CD plus download. So I'm assuming you get the physical CD, but you also get the download. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. And that would be the way to go for me, because I do love still, I mean, I listen to music in, over my headphones from my, my um, you know, music player on my iMac, but I also love to put the physical CD in the Bose Wave CD player. So yeah. that, that would be, I love having, you know, I just ordered, it won't be in until March or April because I back ordered a, you know, so I can do my LPs. I haven't been able to play my L- albums forever and ever and ever. So now I'm going oh, to be able to, amazing. yeah, so I'm going to be able to have my CD player, my record player and my digital files. So that's great. Oh, that's great. I will plug um, on my website. I, I recently um, uh, produced and released a USB drive that has all of my albums on there. Uh, everything I've ever released. Um, plus an hour and a half video that was professionally recorded and produced and mixed and mastered um, of a live show that I did uh, at the Refuge in Woodbine, Maryland. Um, so it has that, has a bunch of fan art and pictures. And uh, so pretty much everything musically I've ever done is is on that USB drive. So. Um, that's a quick way to get to everything. And that is from the merch store, not the music store. That is correct, yes. And the um, Jimmy Plays Guitar t-shirt, of course. Yeah. Yeah, I always say they're they're incredibly soft. They never get dirty. You never have to wash them. Which is just <laughs> completely untrue. And they make all music sound better. That's exactly correct, yeah. It's like a warm <laughs> hug. <laughs> so you were mentioning how wonderful it is to um, have people mention, see you live and, and, and enjoy your music. How do you go about finding your gigs? And I know that still it is difficult to get gigs. Summertime, there's the wineries and the breweries with their outdoor spaces, but it's still difficult to find indoor venues. So how do you go about booking yourself or finding places to play? Um, when I first started out, um, I would go to open mics and play, and then I would get invited to go play different uh, gigs and shows everywhere. Um, and then uh, we got to the point where um, I was able to bring a manager on, uh, Ms. Robin Stern. She's the chair for the Tacoma Park Fall Festival, um, and we're really good friends. So I have her out beating the bushes now, uh, looking for shows. And... Um, and then just word of mouth uh, and playing different places and, you know, opportunities, bare opportunities. So, uh, and, yeah. And I think the way I found you was, was through Rob Hinkle, wasn't it? I believe it was. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure he said, you need to check out my friend, Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. And I said, I love his movies. 
<laughs> In fact, it's so funny that because um, you and I set this up during midweek. And last night, my wife and I were trying to decide what we were going to watch on television. None of our favorite British shows have their new episode up yet. So she says, right. well, how about black and white movies and stuff like that? And I said, okay. And so we ended up finding a Jimmy Stewart movie. And I said to her, you know, during a break where we had to use the restroom or something, I said, you know, it's so funny. I'm interviewing Jimmy Stewart tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, having a name like that, uh, is both good and bad, um, because there's, he's such a beloved actor. He is. Um, uh, so it's always nice to uh, start a conversation and it's a, it's a good icebreaker for people when they come up and talk to me. Um, but the, the downside of it is it makes me as a, as a guitarist incredibly anonymous on the internet because there's so much Jimmy Stewart content out there on, on the web. Um, so, you know, walking that fine line to make yourself unique. But, uh, these days though, if you type in Jimmy Stewart acoustic guitar, it will you'll find a, a fair amount of content that I've been able to release. So do you have a third CD in, in, in your mind? Um, I do, actually, um, and possibly even a fourth. Uh, I've recently teamed up with uh, uh, another musician, Christian Alfonso, um, and we are turning into a vocal folk duo. Um, which uh, takes a lot of his music that he's already re released, and uh, I'm learning those, and we're we're learning to sing together and perform together uh, currently as we speak, two or three times a week now. Well, and um, and I'm going to be speaking with him sometime in the near future, and then once I have both of you with your individual podcasts, and and after you've had some time to kind of gel the duo, um, we're going to interview probably in the summertime where we can sit outside and, and all three of us can get together. That would be fun. Oh, absolutely. I'm looking forward to that. Um, so our, our goal is to learn to be a band by the end of this year. Uh, and we're well on our way to doing that. Um, it, it's one of the great pleasures uh, in life when you get to sit down and communicate with someone musically. Um, and that always happens in, you know, varying degrees, but with what Christian and I have been able to develop in just the short time that we've been performing together, uh, I could not be happier. It, um, uh, it's incredible. And I can't wait to put these songs together and release them out so people can enjoy them. So we will hear Jimmy Stewart sing at some point. Yes, you will. Yeah. Now, do you yeah. have any plans to do a solo CD where you sing? Uh, not as of yet. No. Um, I, I think we are committed to, you know, both Christian and I being a duo, uh, from here on out. I think it's the next transition that, that I want to make in my music career. Um, I've always wanted to collaborate and team with somebody that was like-minded and understands what I get out of music. Uh, and Christian certainly does that. So, so what is the duo name or do you not have one yet? Um, we've narrowed it down to uh, a few, uh, and I'm pretty much not at liberty to discuss them yet. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, it, it's funny. We were kind of, we were fretting about that because, you know, you want a relevant name and then you go and find one and then it's already taken. And, uh, but we decided about a week ago that we're not going to worry about it. Um, 
if if all we ever are, are Chris and Jimmy, then that's fine. Um, but we'll know uh, and let the muse let us know when it's time to pick a name. Um, and I know that goes contrary to, you know, the branding and the marketing and the website and all of the the important things because they are important to put together to to do all that. And you know, I'm I'm not selling any of that stuff short, but. Um, when it's time to get a good name, we'll know it when we hear it. Well, I look forward to uh, speaking with him and then eventually speaking to both of you as a duo. That'll be a whole lot of fun. And this has been fun for me today. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation. Oh, I certainly have, man. It's always great to talk music, especially with uh, someone as involved in it, with it as you are, Todd. Uh, really appreciate knowing you and, and uh, I really appreciate being on your podcast today. It's been wonderful. Well, thank you very much. And you enjoy the rest of today, sans snow, because we're supposed to get s- snow and maybe sleet and freezing rain over the next 48 hours. So get that snow shovel ready and we'll, you know, listen. You know what? Listen to this. I, I know this fellow named Jimmy Stewart. He's got some great music. So when you're shoveling, put his music on and it'll go faster. It will. The snow will feel lighter when you're doing it. <laughs> or it'll just instantly melt and you won't have to worry about shuffling it. Yeah, that that's magic right there. That would be cool. All right, Jimmy. <laughs> Thanks so much for chatting. Thank you, Todd. Have a great day. All right. Bye-bye now. Bye. Well, that was Jimmy Stewart. JimmyPlaysGuitar.com. And uh, thank you, folks, for listening and uh, checking out Jimmy, JimmyPlaysGuitar.com. And I look forward to speaking with his dual partner, Christian, in the near future. But right now, we're going to listen to two things. On his 2019 uh, Just Left a Beautiful CD, he has Apogee Prelude, and then he has Apogee. So let's start off with Apogee Prelude. Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series is produced by me, Todd, middle initial C, Walker. Yes, that's right. It's me at the Wispy Mop Music Studio in Frederick, Maryland. All music on the podcast is played by permission from the artist. If you're enjoying the series, please feel free to share the link, wispymopmusic.podbean.com, and Podbean is spelled P-O-D-B-E-A-N, or you can find the show on either iTunes or Apple Podcasts. We've just listened to Apogee Prelude. Let's listen to Apogee. <laughs> 